This is Dr. Carmetria Burton, and welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Business podcast. As we celebrate Women's History Month, I'm excited to have a conversation with management coach, Mary Lagakis Engle. In this episode, Mary will challenge and charge us as women leaders to learn what it means to be an effective woman leader, how we should define our leadership style, and the obligation of women leaders to other women. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. So I want to go ahead and get started. Um, You know, this is Women's History Month, and you and I have talked about how women can be great leaders, how women can create allyship, um, what we can do to create future leaders. So we're going to talk all things women leaders today. And I know you're the the expert management coach on that. So let's get started. Let's have some girl talk um, and let's make it good for those women listeners out there. So let's get started. Tell us, tell us who is Mary Lagakis Engel? Oh, that is a big question, isn't it? Um, (laughs) Well, who is Mary? Uh, Mary is, um, first and foremost, these days, I'm a mom, much like many of the women who are going to be listening to this podcast. Uh, I'm a mom to a two and a half year old and to two wonderful stepdaughters who are uh, one's in university and one is in high school. And I'm a wife and I'm a business owner and, um, and I'm a family member and, and, all of that is to say, I am a busy person, mm-hmm. <laughs> much like everybody who's mm-hmm. probably listening to this is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a busy person, but I think who I also am is somebody who can maintain perspective, um, stay organized, and uh, and keep her keep her cool and keep her, uh, for lack of a better word, shit together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I'm so glad you said that because, you know, I'm going to ask you're a new mom, you know, two and a half years old, you're running several businesses. What's the secret sauce into the balance of it all? Mm-hmm. I've uh, narrowed it down to this idea of time management that most people don't quite understand yet. I don't see time management as a skill. I see it as a, a concept that involves three skills. And so when I think about how I hold it all together, I look at those three skills. And the very first one, which is probably the most important one, is prioritization. I can distinguish between what is one, two, and three on my list. And I make decisions about that every single time. Intelligent and deliberate decisions about priorities. And then I am able to do the other two things involved in time management, which is to negotiate with people and say, yeah, I understand what you need from me. So let's talk about how you can get that done because here are my priorities and are getting in the way of me helping you do that. Um, So uh, to be able to negotiate with people and then to delegate. And I delegate everything I possibly can from chores to cleaning to admin to whatever. So Um, So that I would say in a nutshell is probably uh, the way I do it. Plus, I think I'm relatively resilient when it comes to um, emotional stuff. Uh, So I don't get derailed so easily from from things like that. Would that be emotional intelligence? Uh, Yeah, I think emotional intelligence has a lot to do with emotional control and Mm -hmm. resilience. Um, there's a bit of a mental toughness there that you yeah. need, I think. Grit. 
I like that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Grit. You know, you know, there's a perception so often of women that you can't give women feedback. You can't give them um, because we get emotional. Right. And we, (laughs) you know, we cry or we get angry. But I like that you said um, resilience, emotional intelligence, grit, poise. I always think of the word of being poised. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's good because you're right. So much is going on and we could quickly get derailed and lose our focus. Yeah, you actually remind me, and 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 we all have have issues with emotions at some point. I remember a meeting that I was in, gosh, must have been five or so years ago, where I literally cried through the entire afternoon part of the meeting mm-hmm. because one person in the meeting, and she happened to be a woman, challenged me on something and wouldn't let me get a word in edgewise. And I just felt so attacked that I sat there for the rest of the afternoon and just cried and uncontrollably. So, and that, you know, it it was me and her and three men at the table and all of us were trying to get through this meeting. And there's Mary in the corner of the table, sobbing and sobbing. And you know what? We just got through it. Everybody sat there and let me sob. And we talked about what we needed to talk about. And so, you know, there's, when I say mental toughness and when you say grit, it isn't to say we don't have emotion. Mm-hmm. It's That's right. more to say, I think I'm, we're, I'm not afraid of emotion. Right. That's right. I want to come back to that towards the end. I want to hear the outcome of how that meeting <laughs> turned out. That's a good That's one. Good. That's a good one. So we'll, we'll come back to that one. So talk to us, you, uh, you know, a management coach, you've done executive coaching, um, for several years, you have started um, other businesses, but tell us how you got into the executive coaching lane. Yeah, uh, well, it's an interesting period in my life. About uh, just over ten years ago, I was uh, going through a breakup in a relationship. I was working at a management consulting firm, uh, working my butt off 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And I was really going through a tough time. And I thought, okay, I need to get some help and I need to figure this out. And so I started talking to a, a psychotherapist and while I thought it was helping, it wasn't really doing much. And then I was watching TV one day and there was a a reality show on TV about Scott Bale. And I don't know if people will remember mm. him. I, you know, he was an actor, child actor. Chachi? in the eighties. I Yeah. <laughs> I'm dating myself. Um, Charles in charge. I think he had his own show. Um, and he hired a life coach in this TV show, this reality TV show. And I watched maybe two episodes and I thought, huh, what's a life coach? So I, looked online and thought maybe this can help me and called three life coaches and had a consultation with each of them and narrowed it down and chose two because I was that severely affected by this breakup. Um, And I hired these two coaches and worked with them for about a year before I realized I wanted to be a coach, that I really liked the effect they were having on me and that I felt like I could have that same effect on others. And then I you know, being a logical and rational person thought, well, who would I coach? And I went, well, I know managers. I know managers inside and out. That's what I do for a living. I'm a management consultant. And so I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could be a life coach for managers? And uh, I started 
to get creative around it, came up with a name, the management coach, um, started defining my business mission and my vision and created a little PowerPoint for myself, started talking a little bit to my bosses about could I do some coaching internally uh, or with clients that we had. They were open to it. Uh, and then one day, one of my managers sent me an email in response to some work that I had done for her and was really out of line, was incredibly critical and just downright angry, I think, in the email that she sent me. And I emailed her back and I said, okay, I'm done. I quit. I'll contact the owner right now and give my resignation. And I thought, well, you know, I went and told my then boyfriend at the time. Now he was my boyfriend because through the work I had done with life coaching, I had decided I wanted a new relationship and I ended up finding him. And he said, well, before you quit, let's go walk the dog and have a walk and see if you, how you feel when we come back. And I came back and I said, I'm going to quit. So I gave my, in my two weeks notice, the last day of work, uh, my bosses and the whole team, except for that one particular manager took me out for lunch. They gave me my five-year gold ring for my fifth year anniversary at the company. And they bid me farewell. It wasn't entirely farewell because they actually kept me on contract um, to help support me. And I helped support them through a busy season. Um, but uh, the very next day, I got up in the morning and I worked, I think, for 48 hours straight on creating a quick and dirty website for myself and launched it. And that's how I got into executive coaching. <laughs> I started networking with with anybody I could. People started hiring me. Um, and then the journey of entrepreneurship began. That's how I started my first, technically my very first own business. So you liked the effect that and the outcomes that it had for you. You had a personal situation. You reached out to a coach. You saw how effective it was for you. And you said, hmm, I think I can do that. I like this. And, you know, as a result of that happening with you at work with another woman, which I'm going to come back to as well, <laughs> <laughs> you started a coaching business and you thought about who do I know? I know managers, I know executives, and that's how you came up with the management coach. So it was a well thought out process. Um, I like the fact that you realized that during a pivotal moment in your life, right? You were ending a relationship, then you had this thing to happen at work. And sometimes that's how we realize our what's next, right? And it's, it's sometimes not easy, but it's revealed in those instances and those are teachable moments. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. And so coaching, right? Um, I think coaching is incredibly effective. I had coaches. You've been one of my personal coaches, <laughs> but how does a person know they need a coach? I mean, I can share with you how I knew I needed a coach, uh, I had a hunch that maybe it could help. I went to the first appointments and they blew me away with the insights that I was able to gain in such a short period of time. And that's how I decided. I, I just knew from the very first experience I had with them. But I think the signals, the, the hunches are, I've got a problem. I don't know how to overcome it. I can't figure out how to get around it. Or I've got an opportunity and I don't know how to grab it. And we get a little bit paralyzed in ourselves at those moments 
and we don't know how to get around it. And sometimes people will ask, you know, how do I know I don't need a therapist versus a coach and things like that? And I like to distinguish it for people in these terms. Therapy works with pathology and therapists greatest function is to take people from dysfunctional to functional. If you have um, deep emotional trauma, if you have things that you um, are, they're literally incapacitating you. Uh, that's a good place to go for help is therapy. Coaches take people from functional to optimal. Hmm. I like it. Functional to optimal. Mm -hmm. So if you feel like you're functional and you can do this and you know, you want to do it and you know, you need to do it. And the payoff is really, really amazing. Mm -hmm. And you're just not sure how to get there. Right. Then you call a coach. Right. So I hope you guys heard that. Right. Coaches take you from functional to optimal. Therapists take you from dysfunction to function. Did I say that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that. So getting your head around, just really having somebody help you maybe get out of your own way, right? Establish the playbook to move forward. Maybe you're stuck. So maybe now's the time for a coach. Is there a difference in a life coach and a career coach? Um, not a huge amount of difference. I think the techniques are very similar. The proficiencies and the skills are very similar, What you might find with a uh, career coach versus a life coach is a life coach is going to look a lot more holistically at various aspects of your life, and they're going to help you hone in on the areas that are most important to you and help you make movement in those areas. A career coach is purely going to focus on your career, and then they might look at the peripherals to see if there's anything in that space that's affecting your career, Uh, but their primary function is going to be tools and techniques around probably resume building, um, sponsorship, uh, looking at your career aspirations, looking at your salary, looking at negotiating with your company. So career coach is going to be much more focused, Mm -hmm. um, whereas a life coach will be focused on a specific area of your life, which may or may not have to do with career. Got it. Got it. Okay. Thank you for that. And when we talk about outcomes, you talked about um, functional to optimal. What what does optimal outcomes look like as a mm-hmm. result of having a coach? It's different for everybody, Carmitria. Okay. It's, it's uh, one of the very first things you do with a coach is you define outcomes for you. And so if I think back to the clients that I've had, outcomes could involve getting a promotion. Outcomes could involve changing careers, moving into a new career, starting my own business. Um, It could involve entering a new relationship, finding a relationship. So success on the person's terms and a successful outcome is being able to plan and define a winnable game Mm -hmm. and then achieve something that looks like that at the end. And so I'll use myself as an example often is, When I first started coaching, I developed a vision for myself that involved that involved having a relationship, a long term relationship and uh, having essentially independence in my own business. And a year later, I had both of those things. 
successful outcomes. The, the, those are the things that you wanted as a result of coaching. Yes. So I understand what you're saying. It could be different for everyone. So good. So you guys, whoever's listening, you need a coach. Remember, it's from functional to optimal. Maybe you're stuck. Maybe you need a little direction. You have your head around an idea, but you need a third party to get in there to help you kind of move those obstacles and get to optimal results. So thank you. Thank you for that, Mary. And now I'm going to take the coaching lens and we're going to talk about some of the some of the women leaders that you've coached since this is Women's History Month. I want to make sure I give our women listeners the tools and the insights that they need to be successful. And maybe there are some opportunities here for them to be better leaders based on what we talk about. So let's talk about some of the women leaders that you've coached and you have experience with. What are the assets that you've seen best women leaders possess that distinguish them from average leaders? Mm -hmm. The best women leaders. I've, I've done a bit of reading on women leaders. I've read about Eleanor Roosevelt and Chanel and I've had I've had the experience of working with many women leaders, both effective and ineffective ones. <laughs> and um, there there's a few assets that we all inherently have as women that predisposes us to being amazing leaders. And I think the first one I would say is this intuitive emotional connectedness that we have with people, the ability to listen and understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it just comes about through our intuition. The best women leaders are able to access that intuition and that connectedness on a regular and consistent basis with their teams, with their colleagues and with their own bosses. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, that that to me is kind of the, the really critical piece for most women leaders. Other assets that we have, we have the ability to be mom. We mm -hmm. have this, we have, you know, when people think of women, they naturally compare us to their moms. Mm -hmm. And mm. People listen to their moms. Many people. Now, not all people have a mom and not all people right. listen to their mom. But there is a universal appreciation for the powerful impact of a mom. Mm -hmm. And so often when I'm coaching my, my clients and I listen to the situation that they're in and I listen to the immaturity of the men and other women around them, and I, I have to look at them and say, yeah, you know what? This is a situation where you got to grow up and be the mom. You know, you got to look at the situation like you've, you're surrounded by, like, how would you deal with this situation if these were your children? Hmm. How would you show up if you were in the position of mom, being the role model, being the person who's got to hold it together, being the person who's got to lead and show them the way? Mm -hmm. um, and people respect mom. You've probably heard the saying, you know, don't do anything that your mom wouldn't be proud of you for. That's right. So right. we have that power over the people that we work with. And I think often both of these assets we underestimate mm -hmm. and we sometimes suppress or repress and we don't realize that we have that power. So listen and the ability to access your intuition. Mm -hmm. So give me an example of accessing your intuition. Because when I think of intuition, I think of gut, right? 
that feeling that I have when I have to make a decision, you know, it's like a little tinge on my, you know, my conscious or my subconscious that allows me to say, okay, wait, Carmetria, think about this differently, do a little more research. So give us an example of accessing your intuition. Yeah. And I I like what you're saying here because you're actually tuning into your body to give you the signals. Mm-hmm. And often what's happening when we're faced with a moment where we need to rely on our intuition is our gut is actually indicating that there's a fear. Mm-hmm. So the gut is more the negative emotion. It's the, oh boy, it's the yes. danger, danger zone. You know, you've, you've accessed your intuition when it's coming from your heart. So nice. um, let me see if I can give you an example of intuition um, something recent. Uh, okay. So here's one. And you mentioned that I, I run a number of businesses and my newest venture is muffins. <laughs> and I started this business back in September and I started baking muffins locally for parents and families who are sick and tired of buying these unhealthy muffins from grocery stores that are filled with garbage. My muffins are filled with only good stuff. And um, the, the, dis, the choice comes about when you send out a batch of bad muffins. So I, at one point, baked a batch of carrot muffins that were very, very dry. I had changed some of the ingredients. I was using a different product, and they came out not as they were supposed to. It was the only batch I had. I delivered them. Some people loved them. Some people commented on them. So I get that feeling in my gut that says, oh, dear, I screwed this up. Something went wrong. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I'm failing. And we all know that feeling of failure. And my intuition says, you can't do nothing. You have to do something. And I think intuition is tightly correlated with courage. Your intuition will often call on you to do something that's scary. So my intuition was saying, you've got to say something. You can't just let all these people wonder if they're the only ones that got bad muffins. (laughs) And so I sent an email to everybody that received those muffins. and And the subject line was, not our best batch of muffins. And the content of the email said, you got muffins that did not meet my personal standards. And therefore, we're going to do something about it. And I gave them options. I said, you can absolutely get a full refund. You can get a replacement and I'll do a do-over batch and you can get all new muffins. And so pick one of those options. And I'm also giving you a discount on your next order, like a super discount. And that was my intuition saying, this is going to be hard, but it's the right thing to do. And it's a creative space, right? Like not everybody's going to come up with, I'm just going to call everybody or email them out and and give them free muffins. (laughs) No, not everybody's going to come up with something like that. But when you're sitting there and you've got the fear and you've got that feeling in your gut that's saying something is not right here. It's a very courageous woman or person who will be able to access that quiet, courageous part of themselves that says, what is my intuition calling on me to do? 
And you're right. It does take courage to really access that intuition because it may real reveal something to you that you don't want to hear, but you already know it. But you, you know what? I got to send this email to these clients. I got to do something to mm -hmm. your point. So I like it. So um, best women leaders have the assets of listening and accessing intuition. Is there anything else based on your experience and your coaching experience? The best women leaders I have found have access to emotional neutrality. And we talked a little bit about this at the beginning is mm -hmm. while we may be emotional and we have access to our emotions, we're not afraid of them. And therefore, when we're faced with a situation that would otherwise be emotional, we know how to keep it together. Mm -hmm. Poise. And mm -hmm. yeah, we got poise. We got... Mm -hmm. We, we've got the ability to, in very difficult situations, give people security. Mm -hmm. But Mary, how does that support what I hear so many people saying, bring your whole self to work? So if I'm in a meeting and someone, um, you know, is maybe challenging me, you're right. It's not that we don't have emotions. I think we have to know how to stay poised and what to say, but are we contradicting, bring your whole self to work? Uh, you know, Richard, you did not hear that from me. <laughs> I would never tell anybody to bring their whole self to work. Well, I would that, yeah. always tell somebody to bring their best self to work. Okay. Bring okay. your best self to everything that you do. Okay. Bring like your that. best self. And Sometimes we're going to get caught up in, in emotions and that's okay. We can still be our best selves. We can say, I am so sorry, everybody. I am angry right now. And you are going to experience the depth of my anger because what just happened is really crappy. I think the best women leaders are people champions. And this is one of the things I hear from everybody is, they want somebody on their side. They want somebody behind them saying, you got this, you can make this happen. And when people don't have that person, they are miserable at work. I think women, the best women leaders have that asset. They have the ability to prop people up. And a lot of women leaders don't know they have it and therefore don't use it. And then we get the stigma attached to women leaders that say, Ugh, I never want to work for a woman again or whatever people say, right? Because while every woman has the ability to use these assets and they all have these assets, they haven't yet been able to access them. Wow. Well said. Well said. So best women leaders, they listen, they access their intuition, they are emotionally neutral and they prop people up. I love that. So if you think about all that, how would somebody define her leadership style? Because, you know, as a leader, you get asked that question often. And <laughs> if you're a new leader, how are you defining that? And how should you respond to that? What's your leadership style? I use a model it's called the 3D theory, the 3D managerial effectiveness leader that defines, sorry, the 3D managerial effectiveness uh, model. 
that defines style. And when I think about style, I think about a set of behaviors. It's not about character traits. It's not about personality. It's about a set of behaviors that you use on a regular basis. And the model says there are four basic styles of behaving in a business environment. And if you learn to use all four basic styles and you learn how to choose which style to use in which situations, you will be a more effective leader. So I don't like to define leadership style too narrowly. Different situations call for different styles. So what I hope more and more women leaders will do is understand their flexibility in style. Understand their ability to operate in styles outside of their comfort zone when the situation demands it. How to flex from being a really organized, uh, meticulous, process-oriented, deadline-driven person in one situation to a highly creative and collaborative and uh, fly by the seat of your pants kind of leader in a different situation. You know, one is great for project management. The other is great for strategic planning. Um, two, being a directive, here's what we got to do. This is how I want it done in an urgent situation where the building's about to fall down and you know what the answers are and you just need the team to act. Two, that developer that takes a moment with her team member uh, an hour out of the day to just listen and say, what's going on for you? How are you doing? How are you feeling? What's fallen through the cracks? How can I help? So there's these four very different ways of behaving in a work environment that everybody has got to learn how to manage so that they can be effective in any situation. Effective leadership is defined by the situation and how you respond to it, not by any sort of character traits or personalities you have. That's why we see and we, we often read books about these, gosh, you know, unfortunately, the majority of them are male leaders who have run these gigantic companies. And there's no way to draw parallels between their personalities. You've got extreme introverts, you've got extreme extroverts, you've got <laughs> everything in between. And so there's, there's really no way to define your style other than to develop a style that's flexible. So you want us to move maybe from thinking about styles, but more into behaviors and then flex on those behaviors based on the situation. Yeah. Love it. Oh my goodness. I love it. Ladies, I hope you are enjoying this as much as I am. So let's move on. So what are some of the pitfalls women leaders fall into? Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go back into my history of coaching women leaders over the last 10 years. And I think the number one response that I hear from women is the pitfall is myself. And I constantly hear this, that wow. there's, I am getting in my own way. Mm -hmm. I don't have the confidence. Yeah. I, um, I don't know how to interact with this particular person or that particular person. Um, I'm afraid. 
I don't speak well. I don't communicate well. It's, it's the, the insecurities, the, um, you know, these, these are women who have families and mortgages and children and they're rocking it and they're doing all these amazing things. And then they come in and they say, I'm, I, there's something wrong with me. Um, so I think that is our biggest pitfall is ourselves and the, the, our little, the devil on our shoulder that says you're not good enough. Mm -hmm. Bear, would you call those limiting beliefs? Mm-hmm. That's a great word for it. Yep. Yeah. Limiting beliefs. There, I mean, there are other challenges that we face. There are unconscious biases in the workplace. Um, and I've had several women leaders come out of the woodwork this year to say, I believe I am a victim of unconscious bias. Uh, and that's just a horrible place to be. I, I am more aware of it now than I ever have been before. I see it on TV. I see it. I mean, we were watching, my husband and I were watching TV a couple of weeks ago and it was, it was some movie kind of like a Marvel comics kind of movie. And immediately the very first thing I saw was uh, a woman being referred to as the superhero's assistant and a man opening the car door for the superhero. And I went, ah, oh, this would be a very interesting study on unconscious biases and what we're teaching our children. I really like something you said. Um, women are, you know, in executive positions. They're performing well. They're smart. They get in their own way. And I don't care at what level you are, if you're in the boardroom, the operating room, or the courtroom, at some point, a rock star woman has not felt confident. I don't care who you are. At some point you have second guessed yourself about something, or maybe you've compared yourself to someone, or maybe you, you know, were fearful. How do we get back to our confidence? How do we get our swag back when those limiting beliefs get in our mind? This is going to probably seem like an overly simplistic answer, but it is the best answer I have ever found. And I found it online. <laughs> not going to lie. <laughs> I love it. Um, only because I had the same feelings myself. I was working with a business coach and she kept harping on me. She said, you have to stop attaching your value to what people think about you. You have to find value in yourself. And I could not, I, my mind, the way my mind works is very nuanced. I need like a fine attention to detail to really understand what people mean by things. And I wasn't getting that level of detail from my coach. So I took to Google <laughs> and I went online and I was like, where do you get self-worth from? And where do you increase your value? And the simplest and most effective answer that I found was put in your best effort every time. Your best self that you said before, bring your best self. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Bring your best self to work. Whatever you're doing, if you have any inkling 
that you are not bringing your whole game to the table, that you are not playing your A game, or that you're not at least trying to develop the skill to bring your best game, then your value will decrease. Every time you shortchange somebody of your best self, you shortchange yourself and your piggy bank dries up. Yeah. So every time you shortchange someone else, you, you shortchange yourself. yourself. It's like a boomerang effect, right? Mm -hmm. If I don't bring my best self to this meeting, I'm not showing up. I'm disappointing Carmetria. And I'm going to walk away with the limiting belief, right? The exactly. value. Oh, wow. You're right. That is simple, but it makes perfect sense. Wow. Bring your best self. I, I like that. So remember that. Not necessarily your whole self, but your best self, because sometimes your whole self may not be your best self. So we want to bring our best selves in any situation. Exactly. Um, so I want to go back. You you clearly talked about and, you know, my heart just kind of sank because I could identify. You had two situations with two women that, you know, you mentioned one woman. She would not let you get a word in edgewise at a meeting and another woman you know, sent you an email that just really attacked you. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so talk to me, you know, how did you get through that? And what is the obligation of women leaders to other women? Mm -hmm. Wow. How did I get through that afternoon of sobbing at a, at a, at a meeting, a strategic planning meeting with my business partners? Um, I excused myself a few times to go to the bathroom to get some toilet paper because there was no Kleenex around. <laughs> um, and I just brought the roll to the table eventually. Um, and I, you know, I was really embarrassed that I was sobbing so uncontrollably. And then at some point during that afternoon, I just kind of went, I can't stop this. So I'm just going to let it keep going. And then I left the meeting ended. I got up, I got my things. I went home and I do not remember how I got past it. I just don't remember. Part of me thinks that, um, you know, one of the people in that meeting is my business partner, uh, who's a gentleman, an older, an older fellow, you know, should be retired, will never retire. <laughs> and um, there's just a certain kindness and empathy and understanding that I could see him holding for me the entire afternoon. And then the next time I spoke with him and that just made it easier. Um, you know, we, we talk about women's leadership and, and, this is the month for women, but many of us haven't gotten here without men. Um, there is value in that relationship. There's a, a value that men bring to our lives that we cannot underestimate. So, um, so he, I think just his presence and his neutrality and his, um, his empathy and his compassion helped me through that. Um, and even in the other situation with the one that sent me the email, there was a man standing right beside me with a level head saying, let's just go have a walk first. <laughs> let's go take the dog out. Um, 
And there's, there's no reason why women can't also hold that space for other women. Um, I think oftentimes women do do that. We do have the ability to do that. I certainly do it for my stepdaughters. I do it for my clients. I do it for my team members. I know Carmetria, we've talked about you and how you do that for people. Um, and it is absolutely within our power to do that for other women and to take responsibility for being that person for another woman. But I think, again, the thing that gets in our way is our own insecurity. We're not bringing our best selves. Certainly, the woman across the table from me who made me sob was not being her best self. And the woman who sent me that email was not being her best self. Great. So being your best self, Mary, has a certain level of... Um... Uh, of ethics to it, right? Um, uh, mm -hmm. Coming from a good place, coming from the best place, getting back to that word, your best self. That is very, very, very well received. I get it. I receive that. I get that. You know, in this, in this wake of diversity and you and I talked last year, 2020, you know, I called you, you know, like Mary as a leader, you know, we got to do something right. Black lives matter. Brianna Taylor, um, George Floyd, George Floyd. Um, and we talked about, you know, I have corporate experience being a minority woman in corporate experience, um, in corporate America, excuse me. A lot of my, um, bosses have been women, right. Um, Caucasian women. Um, and so, you know, as we talked about white privilege and so what can non-minority women leaders do or what is the obligation to minority women. Mm -hmm. What's the allyship there, right? What's the, what's the intersection there to, to create allies, to create great working relationships and, and, and to be sponsors of minority women that are future leaders. Yeah. I think there are a couple of, of things at play here for uh, the non-minority women in the workplace um, that they need to navigate. And um, so the first, the first thing is that women in the workplace, no matter what race mm -hmm. or orientation or whatever, we all have insecurities. We all have insecurities. So the first thing that we need to do, for example, as white women is understand that when we are not supporting somebody, it is probably an insecurity taking hold. The second thing we need to acknowledge at the same time as acknowledging our insecurities is that we also have a privilege and it is the privilege of being a white woman as opposed to being a black woman or an Asian woman or any other ethnicity, a Latina woman. And as a white woman, we have that privilege and therefore it becomes our obligation is a white woman with privilege to overcome our insecurity and take advantage of our privilege. Use it to your benefit is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Use it to your benefit and the benefit of the women around you. And, and that is a very, 
difficult balancing act because a lot of women are not aware that they have a the privilege or b the insecurity and they're just going about their day and their lives without intentionality they're just going about business the way they feel comfortable going about business and basically just relying on their patterns of behavior that they've developed over time and it's all just kind of autopilot so what we need women to do, the obligation of women to other women and to other minority women is to be more deliberate, be more intentional, rise above the autopilot and say, oh, oh, there is a person on my team or there's a colleague on my team who, whose voice is not getting heard, whose opinions are not mattering as much, whose whose presence is not being acknowledged. And I, as somebody with privilege, need to get over whatever it is that I, I think I don't have and I don't bring to the table and just bring my best self. And my best self has privilege and my best self has a voice and my best self has the ability to to amplify the voice of the minority women around me. And I'm going to use all my best self characteristics to help and uplift. Oh, I'm getting excited. I love it. I love that. You know, tell, tell the listeners really quickly when you and I talked last year, 2020, if you were a white person leading a team that had black people, minority people on the team, what should your action have been? Hmm. Yeah. This was a learning for me, Carmitria, last year when, uh, when all of this racial disharmony was going down, I was looking around at people who were absolutely either confused or paralyzed or indifferent. They were just, they weren't doing anything. They just, they didn't know they were supposed to do anything. And my instruction to them at the time was, you must ask the people on your team, how they're doing. You need to have a conversation with each of them and ask them how they're doing at, at the minimum. And that instruction came about because I had a conversation with my husband who is an executive and he does have people of color on his team. And I asked him, I said, is there anybody on your team who's black? And he said, yeah, there is. And I said, well, have you asked him how he's doing with all this? And he said, uh, no, should I? And I said, yep. He's like, I, I don't even know where to start. I have no idea what question to ask or what to say. And I said, why don't you just start there? I have no idea what question to ask. How are you doing? What, what can I do? <laughs> you know, like just, just start with anything. Um, and he did. And it was one of the most powerful conversations he's had as a leader. And so I emailed the rest of my mailing list and said, all right, folks, here's what you got to do. Here are the instructions. You made it plain here's and simple. That's right. Yep. That's right. And that would go a long way for me um, for, for if a leader had done that to me. I would be like, wow, that's pretty impressive. They took the time. They're showing empathy. And they're really leaning in to listen and understand. So that was great advice. Great advice. 
So women leaders, we're confident. We're bringing our best selves to work. We're getting over our insecurities. But how can we not just survive, but thrive? Truth be told, it's still a man's world in so many aspects of it, right? But how can we as women leaders thrive in a man's world that embraces diversity and inclusion? Mm-hmm. How do we not just survive, but thrive? Um, I keep going back to that best self piece. You know, um, even when we look at men's leadership, the most, the, the, the richest men in the world, or at least in North America, have had issues leading. They have all been asked to hire coaches. Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, they, they all had coaches. The leaders at Google, all of them had coaches because they have trouble interacting with other people. They have trouble being emotionally neutral, more so than maybe even a woman would have. So it's not like the issues are different. Our perception about the issues may be different, but the issues are the same. So if we're going to thrive in a man's world, there's a couple of things. One is we have to bring our best selves to work. Two is our best selves have to, has to be better than a man's best self. And this is the challenge that women face because there is still such unconscious bias and because there is not entirely diversity and inclusivity yet in the workplace, our best selves, while we, while it's a challenge to think of it as the being better bring than their best, best selves self. to work because nobody else is really doing it will automatically be better. That was a lot. That was good. So it gets back to this whole, your best self concept, right? That's how we thrive, bring our best selves to work. And it has to be our best selves better than the the male's best selves, mm-hmm. right? Um, we have to, you know, non-women leaders need to um, use their privilege. If they have an obligation to use their privilege to help other women, particularly minority women, Right come up through the ranks through mentoring succession planning or whatever it is um that best self concept i think you're on to a book (laughs) (laughs) i think you are well my my last question one of my last what's next for mary what are you working on that you can share with us well um the the coaching business is still going (laughs) we've got a team of uh, former executives um wonderful executive coaches who continue to coach leaders across North America. Um, so we're happy to, to chat with anybody who might need support. Um, for me personally, I am working on muffins this year. Um, it is part of connecting with who I am and connecting with leaders by actually doing some of the work, right? So it is a startup. It is, it requires investment. It requires focus. And, um, and so in a way allows me to empathize with other leaders who are going through the same kind of struggles. Um, and, uh, and 
what's next is raising a little boy who's going to be an inclusive and kind and uh, and courageous young man who's going to bring his best self wherever he can go. Right. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we are constantly encouraging him and telling him great job and good, good job. And, uh, yesterday he, he was being cared for by, um, by my stepdaughter's mom. Yes. Uh, we have that kind of relationship. She babysits sometimes. And, um, we heard him with her downstairs. They were coloring or doing something. And we heard him say, great job. Great job, Jenny. <laughs> and so I just went, that is what we want. We want a whole bunch of mm -hmm. little soldiers <laughs> running around the world, encouraging mm -hmm. people and telling them how great they are. So mm -hmm. propping, propping people up, as you said earlier. I love it. I love it. This has been great. Um, you know, our listeners are men and women, but women leaders that are listening, I really hope that you walk away with something today. Mary said some very powerful things. Um, and if you want to follow her, we'll make sure all her social media handles will be um, in the narrative of this podcast. So thank you, Mary. We're going to end with a few rapid fire questions. I always like to ask people just so my listeners can get to know you and that you are um, um, that you're, you know, you're human. You're Mary. Like you said, you're mom. You know, you're, you're starting your muffin business. You're Mary 2.0, which I totally love. So <laughs> here are a few questions for you. Um, your favorite ice cream flavor? Vanilla. Oh, I like that. I like that. Um, when are you most inspired? Early in the mornings or late at night? I am most inspired. Uh, oh, Usually late morning, late morning. Okay. Late morning. That, that's a little bit before lunch, right? Uh -huh. 10th or 11 o'clock. Yeah. Okay. If you could go back and teach a subject in middle school, what would it be? Ooh, a uh, subject in middle school would be, uh, I would teach music. Wow. You're creative. I love that. I love it. And last but not least, your favorite board game. My favorite board game, Shoots and Ladders. <laughs> Speaking like a real mom of a two-year-old, I love it. <laughs> I love that. Mary, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for helping women forge new pathways for success, giving us tips and strategies. And although this is Women's History Month, like Mary said, men... You're still important. We need you. With the, with the support of men, we all win. And we thank those men who have supported women, propped up women, encouraged women, promoted women. You are still part of our women's history as well. So thank you for tuning in today. Mary, be well up there in Canada. And I can't wait to get a batch of my muffins. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> thank you so much. A special thanks to the management coach, Mary Lagakis Engel, in celebration of Women's History Month. I really hope you took something away from today's episode. If you have questions, feel free to reach out to me or my guest on our socials, which are linked in the episode description. And again, if you like what you heard, subscribe, leave a rating, and share it with your network. Thank you for listening in, and remember, mind your business.